You're listening to Interviews with Adam. I am your host, Adam Miller, and today we're joined by David Christensen, who is the uh, founder of a great ministry here in New England called the Refidim Project. He's a pastor, he's a retired pastor, but he's served New England for almost as long as I've been alive. We were just talking about uh, when he came back to New England to start his ministry in 1984. It's a great privilege to have him with us, especially during this month of pastor appreciation as we reflect upon uh, what God is doing here in New England and how we can encourage pastors, encourage uh, those in ministry to do the work that they have been called to do to make disciples, uh, which is a challenging task. So, uh, David, again, thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message and for, for joining us in this interview. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be uh, to be with you, and uh, I praise God for all that you're doing through song time, and especially for the emphasis on disciple-making. That is great. And then for Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, that's close to my heart. So thank you for having me. Now, you, I want to talk a little bit about your ministry, because it's very closely associated with uh, what we're talking about in disciple-making, as well as Pastor Appreciation uh, you have a ministry, the Refidim Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what kind of provoked that ministry out of uh, out of your your experience and your passion and your and your love and devotion to the church? Sure, I, I spent uh, over thirty years teaching at the Bible College, New England Bible College in Maine, and also the last twenty eight years pastoring a church nearby. So dual ministry. A couple of years ago, we were talking about uh, how to help pastors here in New England, especially in the area of expository preaching. And so the Refidim Project was born out of that uh, desire to encourage and equip pastors here in New England particularly, but we do some overseas work as well. So we've been going about uh, two or three years now. I think it was 2016 that uh, we started this ministry, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to encourage and equip pastors. I think this is, uh, it's interesting in the sense that I I think a lot of Christians, a lot of people that attend their local church think that uh, their pastors uh, wouldn't need some external training like what you're offering, because, I mean, they've already been through a Bible college, many of them have been through seminary, many of them have uh, training, and, and they spend their whole time studying the Bible anyway. Well, why would they need uh, some help from an outsider like a ministry like yours? Well, I think we all need input into our lives on an ongoing basis. We all need to be uh, always learning, always growing, and pastors need that as well. Uh, so uh, we we try to establish cohorts which are built around the concept of brotherhood learning. That is not a class per se, but a, a chance for pastors to learn from pastors and to grow in their skills and, and to have input into their lives to replace the output that they are uh, doing every week, every month. So it's a replenishing process. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, pastors uh, are leading the church, they're leaders in that regard, and uh, that that title alone can kind of be very isolating, right? That title gives them the sense that they don't have a lot of people that are 
necessarily on their team, if especially if they're a single pastor uh, serving uh, a church on their own, a small local church. Um, where do they get the kind of resources that they need to be able to do the work that you're kind of suggesting? That that kind of community, the the support, the the help, and the the kind of iron sharpening iron. If they're always kind of leading from the front. Well, that's right. So pastors are always in the business of soul care, and in the process of soul care, that is souls meeting the needs of souls, they become they can become spiritually dry. There's a soul weariness that comes into play. And we find pastors becoming spiritually dry, and they need replenishing. And that replenishing then, in turn, uh, helps them serve more effectively in the local church where they pastor. So we try to provide some of those resources. There's certainly other resources out there. But our ministry is to provide those resources, to provide those settings where they can grow and be replenished so that they are no longer spiritually dry. Spiritual dryness is is a problem we all face as we constantly give out in ministry. I've certainly experienced it, and, I, and talking with pastors, I hear that all the time. So that's our ministry, is to replenish through resources and and support and encouragement. Now, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, this is one of those topics where pastors themselves often don't make this known to their congregation. So if we're not talking about it, and if the leaders of the church, uh, uh, the elders or the deacons of the church aren't letting their congregations know, it can often go under the radar. Um, This is, but it's important, right? It's important for us to remember the significance that pastors play in in the role and the guidance of a a local church to take this month to really reflect on that, right? Oh, absolutely. As a as a pastor for many years, um, and pastoring a church that really loved me and 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 cared for me too, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month was a time when people would send cards, encouraging notes, uh, small gifts, and, you know, you, you, you feel appreciated, and that's a, that's a big, big encouragement to pastors. So I think it's great that churches do that. I think it's very valuable to encourage and strengthen pastors. Uh, and setting aside, usually it's October, setting aside October to do that is a, is a, a step in the right direction. Now I'm great. I'm grateful to you because you've written a great article for us uh, for our publication, uh, "Worthy of the Gospel," about uh, pastor appreciation and uh, the title "Beyond uh, the Gift Cards." Um, what are some ways that uh, people can acknowledge and uh, show appreciation to their pastors during this month? Well, I suggested in the article a number of different aspects of that. Uh, obviously the things we're talking about, gift cards or notes and that sort of thing, those are always valuable. And and I really appreciated those as a pastor, but there are some other ways that are, they're more substantive. I think that churches can help and you're right. Pastors, I mean, they're not going to talk about this. It seems (laughs) self-serving to do so, you know, 
But uh, some other suggestions would be just a willingness to to serve. That is such an encouragement to pastors. They're trying to come up with new ideas, fresh ways to do things, and and if nobody's willing to serve, it's it's really discouraging. Um, just that that willingness to serve in the ministry to to love and care for one another because conflicts are draining in the ministry. And so it's, it's wonderful when people can work together effectively, even in disagreement, because that will help and encourage a pastor as well. You know, pastors have to make a lot of sacrifices. Uh, the role itself of soul care is is one that where they're bearing one another's burdens. They're they're bringing a lot of that uh, that that pain of other people into their own life and having to bear that on their own. Uh, d- talking about conflict, uh, pulling against the what the pastor is doing or trying to get your own agenda, trying to get your own ministry started, uh, those can be rather uh, frustrating for a pastor who's who's already dealing with a lot. And your ideas might their ideas might be really great, but uh, uh, being able to come alongside the pastor and and pull with him is really important, right? As as far as a church moving in the right direction. In making some some sacrifices in that regard, right? Oh, sure. It's so difficult if if somebody is in the yoke, so to speak, and mm-hmm. pulling the opposite direction. That's just then the pastor is is always struggling with that. Instead of people coming alongside and all pulling in the same direction, that is when it really is powerful for a pastor. Very encouraging. There's been a lot of uh, kind of. S- incidences in our in our culture and it's probably because news is so much more easily accessible uh, in our day to day with social media but uh, seeing a lot of pastors uh, even this year who have taken their own life who have dealt with publicly dealt with uh, uh, depression dealt with overwhelming um, feelings of, of, of disappointment and and shame and guilt can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of the human nature of, of pastors, sometimes we forget that uh, they have struggles just like any other, anyone in the congregation can have struggles. Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. I think a very important topic. Uh, I, I would say to, to Christians, I would say to churches, pastors are human too. They have the same flaws. They struggle with similar struggles that anybody else struggles with, and certainly one of those is depression. We've seen a number of uh, situations where uh, pastors have succumbed to depression, and it, it's it, that is one of the factors. But there are lots of factors in that where where pastors really struggle with human nature. We're 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 sinners too. We, we fail. We, we are not perfect people by any means. And so uh, it's very important for churches to understand that and to respond to that and encourage pastors through that, uh, through prayer and through support, because uh, we are human. We, we need that. Um, and that, uh, I just encourage churches, particularly in that area. 
what what can people do? You know, especially during Pastor Appreciation Month. The, you know, the the last thing that uh, people should do is say, you know, Pastor, you really should take some time off. You're looking exhausted. You know, <laughs> you know, they sure. mean well, but uh, even in meaning well, they can really be insulting as they kind of address, uh, you know, some fears and say, you know, you're not strong enough. Uh, that can kind of play into the, a little bit of paranoia, a little bit of, uh, of worry, uh, fear that pastors aren't doing enough. Uh, you know, what, what, can, um, what can some of our listeners do if they want to be an encouragement to their pastor, but they know that their pastor's overstressed, overworked, uh, overextended? Well, I would say a couple of things. Just um come alongside your pastor, be a friend to him, offer to to take him out to coffee and pray together, um, uh, talk about his life. Uh, one of the things pastors tell me that's very simple is they feel so encouraged when somebody cares for their children spiritually. Hmm. A Sunday school teacher who who takes the effort extra makes the effort extra effort to go say to their children's their child's ball game or takes them out to do something um, because they're investing in their children and that really encourages a pastor or being a friend to uh, his his wife or to him, many pastors don't have a lot of friends. And so being a friend is a huge deal, I think, in in dealing with some of this uh, discouragement uh, that can come into a pastor's uh, heart and life, this this, uh, being, feeling like you're ready to quit and you're getting bogged down. So those are some things I think from a practical level that people can do. Now, if, if you're going to your pastor as your kind of spiritual leader, and, and maybe if you're even going through counseling with your pastor, they, they know a lot about you. Um, and uh, the, you can kind of feel that uh, that relationship is one of, of kind of an authoritarian versus a friend. So how do you approach those relationships when you're going to somebody for counseling, you're going to them for, for teaching, and you feel like there's already an imbalance in that relationship. Well, I think that's that's right. What happens oftentimes is we get into this relationship where the pastor is the professional, the counselor, and in a position of authority, and the other person is receiving that instruction, that help, and it's it's very hard then to turn that around. And, and I think the only way that can happen is to do so in, in a, a more of a social context um, where you, you just join into something with something that the pastor is doing or find out what, what he likes doing and offer to, if he likes sports, go to a ball game together, offer to take him somewhere or be involved on a totally different level than that, that professional sort of counselor, counselee, instructor, and learner setting that, that we all fall into, which is the traditional pastor and parishioner mode of thinking. Uh, what advice do you have for, for any pastors that might be listening, and, and maybe they're in a kind of a small church, 
the the pressure is always there to keep the church going, to to grow the church, and to to see the church uh, flourish. And and here in New England, that can be a, a, quite the challenging feat. So, what advice do you have for pastors and and people in the position of leadership of a church on on how to do so in a way that reflects the kind of pastoral care of the flock that they've been given? Small-town ministry, small-church ministry is uh, some of the most difficult uh, that there is because you're in a context where you just don't have a lot of resources and everything falls on the pastor. And sometimes the pastor won't speak up. He won't share about how, how difficult that is because he feels like he's failing the flock in some way. And I hear that all the time from pastors. I think pastors in small-town churches, small-town ministries are my heroes because they're so faithful. I would say to pastors that one of the things they need to uh, get over is that that sense of, I can't share any of this with anybody because I'm failing in some way, and be willing on in 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 places and in settings that are safe uh, to open themselves up a little bit and say, you know, I, I can't do everything. Uh, how can we, uh, how can we work on this together? And that opening up then in turn gives people a chance to come alongside them. But when we're closed, when we don't want to open up, we don't want to admit anything like that because we're trying to be the perfect pastor in that setting then we're going to have a problem, I think. Yeah, I, I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up watching my dad and uh, the struggle of trying to represent, uh, you know, the the typical person that everyone would want to follow. You know, the, the, the role of a pastor is not just soul care, it's disciple making, and you want to be the certain model that reflects, you know, what Paul's talking about when he writes to Timothy, the certain model of of a pastor, of a leader that others would be willing to follow. Uh, but that's a lot of pressure because uh, we are we are weak, we are vulnerable, and and kind of giving any hint of that vulnerability can be uh, rather rather fearful for anyone who's in that position, right? It sure can. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, Adam. I grew up as a preacher's kid, so I saw my dad struggle with those things, and I have too. I was talking with a pastor who's bivocational not that long ago, works full-time, and a lumberyard pastor's a small church, and he was just trying to do everything, and he was in tears. His, his family, his wife, it just it was a real struggle for him. And yet he couldn't, he couldn't say to people in the church that he struggled to try and be the perfect pastor to them, and he couldn't do everything. So we talked about that, and he began to open himself up and share a bit of that with some of his people, and he, they responded. And they they weren't negative, and they began to come alongside of him, and he began to cut back on a few areas and try and turn things over to other people. And it, it really has made a huge difference for for his wife and for his family that that was feeling neglected. For any pastors um, that feel that uh, 
that the feeling, the sense of inadequacy, is, is that common with pastors, or is that something that uh, you know? I mean, the, even feeling inadequate sounds alarming to a pastor because maybe I'm not qualified, maybe I'm not really <laughs> able to do what I'm supposed to be doing, and how if people really knew what was going on in my personal life, they would never want to listen to me on Sunday. Uh, that that <laughs> kind of radio, kind of in the background of their head, can really mess up with uh, what they're trying to do in their pastoral role, right? Oh, sure. I just had a pastor call me, talk with me, uh, just like within the last week or two saying exactly that. I, you know, I, do you ever, did you ever feel inadequate? Did you feel like you just really, am I too hard on myself? Did you feel like you just couldn't do it? I said, my goodness, every week I felt that way. <laughs> I always felt like I was inadequate. I would get done Sunday and I would uh, and Monday morning, I would be feeling, or Sunday afternoon, I'd be evening, I'd be feeling really down about, wow, I should have, I could have done much better. And you, you, feelings of inadequacy are very normal for a pastor. Uh, at least my experience, uh, that is the case. And so this pastor was relieved to hear that because yeah. <laughs> I've done it for a lot of years. I said, yeah, I always dealt with that, and that's very real. That's very normal. Part of it is, of course, then we, that throws us back to depend on the Lord more, which is a good thing, because he is the one that energizes our ministries. And, And as Paul says in Corinthians, makes us competent or adequate, because as Paul said, who is adequate for these things? Nobody. Mm. So God makes us adequate ultimately. But being willing to admit that is important. And one of the areas of your ministry is not just uh, kind of helping pastors in in their study of expositional preaching, um, but also in in helping them get together with other pastors in kind of cohorts and to work on those skills together. Why is that so important? And what is the value of pastors uh, sharing community with somebody who might not even be in theologically the same kind of circles as uh, the other ones. So many pastors, especially in New England, uh, where we have small towns isolated from one another, uh, so many pastors are isolated. And it is very, very valuable to get together in a, in a geographical area to get a group of pastors together. They may not all be exactly the same theological persuasion, but they're all preaching Christ. To get them together, they begin to connect with one another. We, in our cohorts, we do it quarterly. Uh, and so every quarter they get together and they begin to learn from each other. And what we find is pretty soon they want to get together more because it is so helpful to them. Uh, They are no longer feeling so isolated. So one of the valuable purposes of our preaching cohorts is that pastors in a given geographical area will learn to work together to encourage one another, and pretty soon they're praying for one another, and that strengthens the body of Christ in that whole area, as well as strengthens the pastors. There's always going to be a sense of, um, 
you know, a competitive nature. And we don't like to talk about it in ministry, but there, there is a reality where you, you kind of looking at the, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. This, uh, you know, is this church going to take some of my, uh, some of my members? Um, uh, that there's a, this attitude of, well, if I show any weakness to them, you know, I, I have to show an attitude of, 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 uh, uh, kind of authority in, on these subjects, that's not going to happen unless you develop a good level of trust, right? You're going to have to develop trust with a lot of these these other pastors to be able to to really break down those kind of impediments to real relationship, right? Yes. we. I find with the cohorts, it takes a while to develop that trust because we're we're a little sensitive about this whole area of church competition. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever wants to talk about that. You know, that's unspiritual. We don't want to bring that out, but it's very real. And especially when it comes to preaching in particular and that aspect of the ministry, we're very sensitive about that, and we feel a sense of uh, competition even. And that's, it takes a while to break that down. And what it takes is building trust. So in a cohort, when each pastor preaches a sermon and the others then evaluate and give constructive criticism, at first, there's really a sense of, oh, I don't like this. I'm very uncomfortable. But they learn to trust one another and they learn that we're there for each other. And that that builds that trust and we begin to break down any sense of com- of competition then over time. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, so often we address the subject of leadership, and there are so many seminars, there's so many conferences, there's so many books that are written on that subject alone. There's very little written on the subject of followership, but really, if there's uh, meant to be uh, any real form of discipleship taking place, there's a lot more followers than there are leaders. What advice do you have for for us, for all of us who who are seeking to be followers of Christ and to follow leaders that can help us, whether we're, we're even if we're in positions of leadership, uh, there are people like you who can come in to kind of help us, to help us to be good followers. What advice do you have for us in the necessity that we have to be good followers? Well, the New Testament stresses the issue of followership. Uh, and uh, a disciple at at his core, his or her core, is uh, a learner. That's what the word meant. And so we we tend to minimize followership and put all of the stress on leadership. But if churches are not, and Christians are not following, then nothing much really happens that is, is good. We We really should talk more about that aspect. And I think some of those some of the practical matters with respect to followership, uh, well, he, Hebrews talks about obedience, about mm-hmm. listening, about responding positively to the instruction and obeying our leaders and and living out what they are encouraging us to do um, and serving and being at peace with one another uh, because we are following the leader who is following the Lord. And that whole process then strengthens the church immensely. 
and of course it's an encouragement to the pastor, but more importantly, it, it strengthens the church mm. and makes the church more effective. In your experience, not just in pastoral ministry, but also in, in working with other churches and working with other pastors, what seems to be the source of a lot of, of, of the, the kind of impediments to church growth? It, doesn't it seem to be that they're not working together, that there's not a cohesive uh, following of, of a vision, of a purpose, of a mission, even the mission that God has given to us in fulfilling the Great Commission? It seems that a lot of the problems that uh, are key to that impediment are uh, the impediment of growth is is this inability to to do disciple making in its fullest extent, right? Unity. So unity is huge. Uh, it doesn't mean unanimity. It doesn't mean we agree with everything, but we are united in the purpose, in the goal, in the vision. Uh, and Jesus stressed that. Um, he's, he stressed that we will, people will know we are Christians by our love. John 17, in his, up, in his prayer, he prayed for the unity of his followers. And that unitedness, that sense that we are together in mission, is central to the Great Commission. That's our mission right there, the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be about. So the more we are united around making disciples, then the less time we have to fight about all the other stuff. Mm. And that is powerful and moving and motivating for a local church or the body of Christ in any given area. I, I, I love one of these lines that you put in this article uh, for our publication on pastor appreciation beyond the gift cards. Uh, uh, this one line, happy churches make happy pastors. Uh, it seems as the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches, the various churches in the New Testament, uh, he's always encouraging them to get along. He's encouraging them to the same point that Jesus said, to have this unity, because there's always this tension for us. Uh, we are a a weird group of people that otherwise would probably never come together under the same roof except for the grace of God. But it's that message that is what's binding us together, and that's the message that pastors are trying to communicate, correct? Yes. Uh, sometimes people say, well, great preachers will make great churches. Well, really, great churches make great preachers. Mm. It is so easy to preach and to teach people and to challenge them regarding the mission and regarding what God's Word says we're to be doing. So easy when the response coming back is one of, let's do it, let's get on with this. That makes preaching, that makes leadership, that makes ministry so much easier. Uh, I I've preached in places where you, you, you sense that nobody's with you, and mm. that's really, really hard then to do. We've been talking with David Christensen, who is the founder of a great ministry here in New England, the Refidim Project. Uh, it's working with pastors, in, in particular helping them to uh, preach the Word of God uh, expositorily, as well as bringing them together in the sense of these cohorts that will help them be united in the effort of making the gospel known throughout New England. It's a great privilege to have him with us today to talk about this in light of Pastor Appreciation Month. 
Uh, David, again, thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. You're welcome, Adam. I I appreciate being a part of this and appreciate uh, the opportunity to share some of these thoughts with you. We hope you enjoyed this interview made possible by our ministry at Songtime Radio. You can find out more information about our ministry by visiting our website at songtime.com, where you can find this and other interviews on our podcast series, as well as our weekday broadcast, which includes teaching, interviews, and music. We also want to encourage you to sign up for our free monthly newsletter. It's got encouraging articles, and there is no obligation to find out more information about our ministry. Again, visit our website at songtime.com. This ministry is made possible by people just like yourself. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed today, why not join with the many voices together for that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your donation to the Songtime Ministry. To make a donation, you can do so online at our website at songtime.com, as well as by mail. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. Make a donation over the phone. It's 508-362-7070. On behalf of our entire Songtime staff and our own Dr. John DeBrine, the founder here at Songtime, who encourages you to grow in grace and not groan in disgrace. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller. God bless. <laughs>